I said to myself, self, the Lord did not start us in the book of Nehemiah to stop. Let me see what the next chapter is. And believe it or not, the next chapter in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, is about giving thanks to God. Did you know that? So today we're going to continue our theme of the journey home, that journey back to that place of rest where God has us, from whatever land we've been captive in, whatever place we've been. I want to talk about part nine today, which is a reason for Thanksgiving. Now, as Americans, of course, we know the history of Thanksgiving, uh, the pilgrims coming over, surviving the winter, hanging out with the Indians. They had burgers and wieners, right? They had chips and potato salad. Very Thanksgiving. Now, we know how it really went back in the day. We know about that first Thanksgiving, that they were thankful to God that they had survived the winter. They were thankful the intervention of the Indians. God had sent the Native Americans there to them to show them how to plant corn and how to survive that terrible winter. And they were thankful. If I went around today and I took the whole service and I said, for what do you thank God in this last year? I don't think any of us would say, I thank God we survived the terrible winter because the Indians came and helped me. I don't think we'd say that. But I'll bet every one of us who knows the Lord as Savior could give a reason why we're thankful. We're thankful because food allergies have gone bye-bye. We're thankful that our health is returned and restored. We're thankful that we have a home to live in. We're thankful that even though you have physical problems, you're still alive and still able to come to church. We're thankful that God has given us this body of people that we can come and worship with and celebrate with. And even though there's so many things going on in the church, so many future things, we're thankful to be part of what God is doing. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. amen. So today I want to look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Verses 1 through 9 is where we're going to start. We're going to talk about this reason for Thanksgiving. And I say this, you can give thanks in the midst of discouragement. Has anybody here suffered discouragement in the last few months? Perhaps a friendship didn't go the way you thought it would go. Perhaps you got turned on by someone you thought was a friend. Maybe in this last year or so, there's been a, a little change in your economic fortunes. Maybe some things that you thought were going to come through didn't come through. But you know what? If you're discouraged today, if things haven't worked the way you thought they would, don't be let down. There is a reason to give thanks in the midst of that discouragement. Here it is. Nehemiah chapter 6, <clears throat> 1 through 9. When Sambalat, Tobiah, Gershom, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at that time I had not installed the doors in the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent a message, Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal and I gave them the same reply. Now watch this. Sambalot sent me this message a fifth time by his aide, who had an open letter, now I'll explain that in a minute, who had an open letter in his hand. It, in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king. And I have even set up, and have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim you on your behalf. There is a king in Judah, these rumors will be heard by the king. So come, let's confer. Then I replied to him, there is nothing to your rumors that you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind, for they were all trying to intimidate or discourage us, saying they will become discouraged in the work and it will never be finished. But now my God strengthens me. Sound familiar to you, church? Sound like any situation you've ever been through in your life? You can't live and not face discouragement. The early pilgrims who came to this country, they settled in some terrible places. Some settled in the middle of swamps. They all died of bugs and fever and everything else. Some got here and all their way of living, all their way of thinking had to change. They were in a new place, a new environment, new crops, new everything. But God sent Native Americans to them to show them how to live in the new place they were. When you came to Christ, you knew how to be a secular person. When you came to Jesus, you knew how to be a regular, earthly, physical person. But somebody had to come alongside you and show you what it meant to be a believer, right? Think back to those early days as a Christian. 
Who was it that shaped you? Who was your Native American that came in and showed you how to live this new life of a believer? Maybe it was a pastor. Most likely, it was a Bible study leader. It was an older believer, a sister in the Lord, a brother in the Lord. Might have been a deacon. It might have been a friend of the family who was a strong believer. Who was it, brother boy, that showed you how to walk with Jesus? Because there had to be someone to show you how to enter this new land and live this new life. Now look what's going on here. It says in verse 1 up here that there were no gaps left in the wall. That's fantastic. That's what we've been doing here the last few months, trying to plug up the gaps in our wall. We've been trying to finish the wall of the church to say this is a safe place where people can come and experience worship, and this is where we can come in and we can welcome visitors, and they will experience the truth of God's word. Amen? That's been our intention, right? That's why we do all that we do, to create a place where people can hear about Jesus. Isn't that the purpose for GGCF? To spread the knowledge of Jesus Christ to the nations? That's why we exist, right? Otherwise, we're not really a church. We're a social club. If our purpose is not to reach the world for Jesus, then we're only a social club, and we should change the name. But we are a church, and this is our purpose. It says that the gaps were filled up, though at that time I had not installed the doors in the gates. Now, remember back earlier on that gates had been built by different groups of people, but every gate had a door through which people could pass in and pass out. The gates were the larger structure, the doors were the smaller structures. So there was still a little chink in the armor. There was still a little weakness in the door of that city. So the work was almost done, 99% finished. They couldn't attack the walls, they couldn't do a large siege at the gates. But what they could do is they could sneak spies in through those doors that were not yet hung. Think about it, church. You've been talking and working and studying about your life in Jesus. Are there any little doors left open? Because you know, the door that's left open, the sin that you don't get rid of, that dark, hitting corner in your life, that's the place where Satan will sneak and attack you. Now, this is how he attacks Nehemiah. He says, come on, come on down to the Ono Valley. That's about 20 miles away. That's a long trip. When you're traveling through the desert, it's very easy for you to be waylaid by some bandits. You could be accidentally killed on the way to this meeting, and it wouldn't be any of their fault. But they could surely put someone out there to ambush him on the way to this place. So he says, come on down to the Ono Valley. He says, but they were planning to harm me. See, Nehemiah was the governor. He wasn't stupid. He had his spies, too. So I sent them a message. I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Satan will always try to lure you away from the work of the Lord by giving you some other good thing to do. Let's say you plan to go to the Philippines. You're going to go help Pastor Nathan and Sister Rena in their work, right? That's a good thing to do. And you determine in your heart, that's what I'm going to do. But then what happens, you see, is for the two of you, that's $4,000 you've got to commit. Suddenly, your kids have this opportunity, but it's going to take $4,000. Suddenly, oh, maybe your car starts having trouble, and you might need to buy a new car. Whoops, how much does it take? $4,000. Suddenly, there's some other thing that you can do that's more important. Ah, work calls you. They need you to work extra time. You're going to make a lot of overtime money. You know how much overtime money you're going to make? $4,000. Here's the thing. Satan says, oh, look over here. Here's what you can get by letting that go. Let somebody else do that. I can see him talking to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you come on down to the valley. We've had kind of a rough start in the past. We haven't gotten along so well. Why don't you come on down? We'll play some poker. We'll drink some beer. We'll chase some women. We'll have a good time. That's what they were essentially telling him. Leave the work of God. Come to a place of pleasure. Come where nobody can see you, nobody will know you, and nobody can tell on you. Let's go to Vegas. That's what they were saying. But Nehemiah sensed in his heart and knew from his spies they were going to kill him. Satan's plan is to take you away from the study of the word, away from Christian service, that he might kill you by inches. Never fully, but here's the thing. A believer who's not walking with Jesus is usually bitter, angry, frustrating, not only to himself but to everybody else. Have you ever met someone like that? Here's the thing. Satan doesn't have to destroy you. He just has to put you in park. Have you ever been in park in your Christian life? You better say yes, because I know you have. 
It's very much a struggle to stay going. Here's the thing, when you're serving the Lord, and you're serving, and you're serving, and you're giving that time, and suddenly here's an opportunity that says, you know what, you've worked hard enough. Why don't you take a break? It says right here, then they started to tell lies to him. Well, if you don't come down and talk to us, we're going to tell the king that you're trying to raise up a rebellion. Now, in fact, what's interesting is letters to the governor were always taken, they were written, they were sealed with a wax seal with the signet ring of the person who sent it, right? That's how you know it's a true letter. They would break that seal, open that document, and they would know that that person had sent it. You know what, it's, what it says right here? He sent him the same message a fifth time by an aide, not in person, who had an open letter in his hand. Nobody did this. Nobody sent open letters to governors. You know why? Because the aide was Snoopy. Whoa! And he goes to his wife. Hey, wife, read this. And he shows his buddy. Hey, pal, look at this. An open letter would be disclosed to everybody. What was his purpose? He wanted everybody to know that there were stories that Nehemiah wanted to be the king. Nehemiah wanted to rebel. Nehemiah had put false prophets out there to make him the king. What did they want to do? They wanted to destroy everybody's confidence in Nehemiah. Because if Nehemiah fell, the project fell because he was the heartbeat of what was happening. Do you know why it is so important that our people rise up to become missionaries and why it's so important that we rise up to be worship team members and why it's so important that we rise up to be Bible study leaders so that together we continue to encourage each other. If we start to rely on one person or two people or three people, you know, three people bearing the burden of an entire church will either destroy them or lead them to collapse. So here's the thing. They wanted to discourage him. It even says it. It says, you are, you are inventing all these things in your own mind, guys. He says, because they were trying to intimidate us. The devil wants you to be intimidated. He wants you to think you're not smart enough to preach the gospel. You're not smart enough to leave Bible study. You don't have enough time to be an instructed Christian. It does take time to study the Word of God. Can I get an amen from you? It takes time to lead people to study the Word of God. You've got to do twice as much work when you lead as when you follow. This book that we're doing right now, all three groups right now are doing the same book. And what it requires is this. You need to take about an hour to an hour and a half a week and read that book, answer those questions, think those things through, but your leader has to not only do that, they have to prepare the study material as well. There is a great blessing that comes when you lead a Bible study. Tremendous blessing from the Lord when you lead a Bible study. Because you see things you never saw. You discover things you didn't understand. You get answers to your own questions as well as learning how to answer everybody else's questions. The greatest thing about being a pastor is I get to study all the time. I get to do my own Bible study. I get to do the Sunday sermon Bible study. I get to do the Tuesday night Bible study. And I get to do the ones for the Bible studies that are going on in other places. I get to study all week. That is so cool. I love that. By the way, thank you for letting me do that. Thank you for giving me the time to study and to pour over all these things. Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. I get a lot of calls to go places and do things. I get a lot of calls to go out to lunch with this person or that person. And they're, they're from our denomination. They're from other denominations. And they want time for me to come and spend on their projects and their ideas and their interests. Most of the time I say no. Do you know why? Because I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I don't want to give away my time to some other group or some other organization. I want to focus my time on what we're doing here or part of here. So I think this is so amazing. Look down at the end. He says this. He says, they, became, they will become discouraged and the work will never be finished. That's what he thought. That's what they thought. But the Nehemiah says, but now my God strengthens me. What is the joy that we, that we have as Christians? What is the reason that we can celebrate discouragements? Why can we give thanks when the world turns against us? How can we do that? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. If you don't know that verse, you need to know that verse. 
You need to know that whole section of scripture. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's how you lead Bible study. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's how you sacrifice $4,000 and go to the Philippines instead of making money or buying a new car or sending your kids to band camp. That's how you do it. The joy of the Lord gives you the strength to do what you have to do. It gives you the strength to rebuild broken relationships. Even though the person may not be worthy of it, you can still extend that hand of Christian friendship because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah could not have done this on his own. He relied upon constant prayer, pressing in on who God was to make this happen. See, and I love this. 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, 6 and 7. And you, became, you become imitators of us, and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. He's saying to them, you have been through the grinder, and you have received the words of God with joy in spite of the afflictions. This church will grow in spite of its growing pains. I remember when my daughter was younger, and she would say, Daddy, my legs hurt. Daddy, my arms hurt. I said, I know, baby, it's growing pains. And there's not a thing you can do about it. You have to go through growing pains. Amen? Physically, you have to go through growing pains. Spiritually, you have to go through growing pains when you cut loose of the childish things of the past and you embrace the responsibilities of the future. It's a, tough, it's a difficult time when you get out of, out of your uh, parents' house for the first time and you enter the workplace and you start working and, and making money and putting it aside because suddenly you have a lot more responsibility than you ever had in your life. Those are growing pains. And when you're taught in a Bible study, and all you do is listen. That's easy. But that's to prepare you to step up to the growing pains of leading and teaching and being one who feeds as well as being fed. Amen? Here's the great thing. If all you do is eat all day, what do you do? You get fat. I can testify. But when you feed and feed and then you go work and work, what happens? your body grows stronger and healthier. If you learn here, you should be working out there to do something with what you learn. Otherwise, you lose it. I studied Spanish when I was in college. Can I speak it? No. I studied German for two and a half years in high school. Can I use it? No. Why? I did nothing with it after I received it. After you receive it, if you don't use it all the time, you lose it. Same thing with the Word of God. You receive it, you receive that strengthening as Nehemiah did, you receive that encouragement from the Lord and from the Lord's people, you have to go out and use it. And Nehemiah would not compromise. Remember, he's a politician. Nehemiah is a governor. It was in his best interest to go meet these men. But he knew that that was not God's plan for him. Press on. It gets even better. Nehemiah 6, 10 through 14. Not only do we give thanks in the midst of discouragement, when people try to discourage us, when they tell us we can't do it, we need to give thanks in the midst of personal attacks. If you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you will suffer personal attacks. Here it comes. I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mahetabel, who was restricted to his house. It's an interesting translation, restricted. Restricted to his house. It means he was hostile. It means he was most likely a spy someone who was not to be trusted. That's one interpretation that I came across as I was reading this. He said, let us meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let us shut the temple doors because they are coming to kill you, Nehemiah. They are coming to kill you tonight. But I said, should a man like me run away, how can I enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated again. Do as he suggested and sin and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. Satan is always looking for a way to tear down strong believers, to discredit them or to take away their, their testimony. Because if he can, he neutralizes them. You go back in the park. And a car in park is not dangerous until you stick it in gear. May God remember Tobiah and Sambalot for what they have done, and also Noadiah the prophetess and the other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. Wow. After this first plan didn't work, 
they pulled up the stops. They got the dirty preachers. They got the selfish preachers. They got the people that they could pay to say everything that they wanted and nothing from the Lord. Look in the history of Israel. Every time you turn around, there are prophets for hire. There are all these prophetic people for hire. Look on uh, Mount Carmel. Elijah's up there all by himself, standing as the voice of the Lord. And what happens? 450 prophets of Baal come out. These cats didn't serve Baal because they loved him. They were being paid. They were getting food and lodging and women. And they were being given all this stuff to serve this false god. And they did it in the middle of Israel. Don't be deceived, people. Not everybody who bears the name pastor deserves that title. Not everybody who's on television tells the truth. Friday night, we were going through some of the names of people who've gone out there on television and said the dumbest and stupidest things. We talked about one woman who got up, and her name is Paula White, and she said, I had a revelation from the Lord. And they said, what is the revelation, Pastor? She said, here it is. And she spilled out this long, drawn-out thing. Here's the problem. Deacons in the church came to her later and said, uh, Pastor, that's not right. And she said, what do you mean it's not right? We can't find that in the Bible. She said, I don't care. God revealed it to me, therefore it is holy. It is right, it is true, and you have to believe me. You know my question, of course, right? Why didn't somebody light a stake and burn her at it? False prophets suffer that kind of death. But our TVs are full of them. They're full of people who claim that name and who lie in the, in, in the name of, of self-worth. Of, of money, of book sales, of attendance. I put this to every one of you. If you have a pastor that you love on television, good. So do I. I have my pastors that I love. I was watching Stanley this morning. Stanley worried me for a minute. He said something and I had to go, self, that didn't sound right. And I had to you know, go back on the screen and watch him say it again. Because I love Charles Stanley. But I'm the first one to say, now wait a second, that doesn't sound right. I realized I had missed part of the sermon. I had missed a part where he started off with one thing, and then he said something else to contrast, and I thought he was making a wrong statement. What did I do? I went back and I checked it out. I made sure that what he was saying was true. I don't care if he's Charles Stanley. If he gets up there on television and lies, he's a liar. You know what? You see what I'm saying? Be sure that every pastor, every preacher you listen to you check it. You see what happened right here to Nehemiah? He went to this house, and he, he went in there, and this person was known to be hostile to what they were doing. And he says, come, let us go to the temple doors and shut them because they're coming to kill you, Nehemiah. God had always had his hand on Nehemiah. God has always led Nehemiah, never in fear, never in retreat, always in strength, Right? That's how he's led Nehemiah all this time, never to back down from these people. They've just attacked him with intimidation, but now they're coming in personally. Nehemiah, they're going to kill you. What was their purpose? Well, he says right here, their purpose was that I might run into the temple like a coward. I might slam the doors, seeking a sanctuary in the temple itself. By the way, what was wrong with that picture? Nehemiah wasn't a priest. He couldn't go in the temple. He could go to the court of the men. He could go to the court of the women. He could go to the court of the Gentiles outside. He could not cross the threshold of those doors. It was against the word of God for him to enter that sanctuary. He couldn't go in. If he did that, he would have violated God's holy place. And you know what would have happened? The priest would have killed him because he had violated the, the temple. He says, they did that trying to make me so afraid that I would rush in there and that they would do that so that I would have a bad reputation as a sinner and as a coward. They're trying desperately to tear him down by threatening him. There's been a lot of good pastors over the years who have done things in the name of the word of God who've wound up gotten themselves killed in places like China, Indonesia, England, France, America used to be if you stood up for the word of God against, well, we won't mention the church, you wound up being burned at the stake because you were a threat to the establishment and to the power. 
Now, I know I speak strongly, and I know sometimes that's shocking. But understand this. My passion in life is only one thing. That is the purity and the holiness of God's word and who he is. So anybody that gets in the way of that is a bunny rabbit in front of a Mack truck. They're the bunny, I'm the Mack truck. You know what that means, right? You live in Montana, you always see the sail rabbits in the road. When the, when the truck goes over them 18 times, get this little flat piece of paper, you just sail it down the road, yep. That's what a false prophet should be, a sail bunny, right there on the road. And he says this, God, remember them for what they're doing. Remember what they're trying to do. In fact, Matthew says this, when they persecute you in one town, go to the next. For truly, I say to you that you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He told them when they persecute you, when, not if, when they hound you, you keep going, you keep preaching, you don't stop. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. They killed Jesus. Hmm. And the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, meaning the devil, how much more will they malign those of his household? If this world persecuted Jesus, they're not going to make you a saint. Unless you're Catholic, of course, in which case, you know, you have to do two miracles. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Here's the thing. In that last day, when you stand before the Lord, your strength or your cowardice will be made known. And it's not any of us you will answer to. It is to the Lord Jesus and him alone that you will answer for what you do on this earth. So I encourage you, consider carefully what acts of cowardice mean in the long run. If Nehemiah had backed down, if he had fled to the temple, if he had shown yellow, all those men who stood with him would have done the same thing. And then all those who served them would have done the same thing. And the work would have stopped, and the city would not have been finished. Because it says right here, the doors are not hung in the gates. It's not done yet. Church, our work is not done until Jesus blows the trumpet. Well, actually the angel, angel blows the trumpet. We meet the Lord in the air. Until we're dead and gone, our work is not done, okay? We're not finished. I don't care if you're 18, 38, 48, 16, 108. You keep serving until you're dead. That's our mission in life. So, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the hilltops, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell itself. That's what should drive you. Don't fear your boss. Don't fear that nasty nurse at work. Don't fear that, bu that busybody. Don't fear the gossip. Don't fear the backstabber in your own family. Don't fear them. They can do nothing to you. Remember back in those first verses? All those things are only delusions in their own mind. You stay faithful to the Lord no matter what you have to do to do it. If you're called to go to the Philippines, you commit and you will have that money. It will be there if God calls you to do it. But you better pray on it and be sure that this is what God's calling you to do. You go give yourself 110% to the Lord, and it will always come through. In fact, I could, uh, I could say right now, can anyone give me a, te a testimony of a time when God called you to do a work and you didn't have what you needed? No hands would go up. You know why? God never calls us to a thing that he doesn't make it possible to complete. Now, lots of us try things on our own. We try to do things because we think it's right, or we think it's good, or it seems logical to us, but God doesn't send us to do it. And when God doesn't send you, he doesn't have to back you up. You understand that? If God doesn't send you to do a work, he doesn't have to make it successful. He only prospers his work that is done at his command, done his way. Sometimes a lot of things fail because they were started without the Lord, they were done without the Lord, and they failed without the Lord. Okay, let's go ahead and keep going. So that's those personal attacks. They come, and they're vicious, and they're terrible. Satan will send people to you to try to persuade you not to stand up for the Lord, not to preach, not to pray. 
I mean, this week it was funny. Uh, I came downstairs Saturday morning and my hair was all standing up. I looked like a train wreck. I think I had my teeth in. I'm not sure. Anyways, the doorbell rang. Nobody rings my doorbell at the crack of noon. Nobody. But I got to the door. I opened it. Hello. I saw a guy. saw a Filipino man standing in a suit and tie. I knew I was in trouble. And his wife was there, and she hit on the long coat and dress, and I said, oh, I'm really in trouble. Then the kid's there in a tie, and I'm like, oh, Lord, Jehovah's Witnesses. I was right, yep. Can I help you? She said, yes, we're, we're going through this community looking for Filipino people. Do you know of any? I said, well, I'm the pastor of a Filipino church. Do I count? Oh, really? So we had, we had about a 20-minute discussion, a 30-minute discussion at the door. And it was funny because he kept trying to see if I would disagree with him on something. I'd say, no, the Bible says clearly this and this and this. And Well, do you believe that this? Well, the Bible says clearly here, here, and here. So he was really confused because I wasn't attacking him, but I wasn't giving him room to, to drag me into some of these odd discussions. And I said, to, when he left, I said, you know what? If you ever have time, stop by again. I'll bring you in the house when my wife's up and we'll get some coffee. And I don't know if you knew what to do with that, because usually they're used to people slamming the door in their face. In fact, they're told, Jehovah's Witnesses are told, people will be mean and cruel, they'll slam the door in your face, and that's a sign that you're doing the right thing. Here's the thing, he didn't know what to do with me, because I said, you come back, I'll bring you in the house, we'll have coffee. If he comes back, <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun, because I'm ready for this brother, I'm ready for him, a hundred ways to Sunday, see if we can lead him to Jesus. Anyways, but here's the thing. That's just me. That doesn't have to be you. You don't have to do that. Maybe you don't want to invite the JWs into your house. You know, maybe that's just not your calling, but it is mine. And you have to be willing to stand up. I was actually blacklisted by the Mormon church in our last home. Because I kept, I kept attacking their missionaries on the road. And I, well, send me your bishop. Come on, send your bishop to me. And um, in our first church, we had a lady who was the daughter of a Mormon bishop in Utah. She had been in the temple, the, temp, the proper temple. She knew all of the stories, all of the lies, all of the deception. She knew everything. I said, sister, you got to preach in church. So she came in on, on, on a, like a Wednesday night or something, and she told us all about the Mormon church. And then uh, we went over to her house one time, and right then her mom and dad came in from Utah. I never, I never met a man who hated me more in my life. And it just tickled me to death. Because every time he would open his mouth, I was right on him. Because I knew exactly what he was doing, and I was ready for him. And that's not something you want to do unless God calls you to do it. But here's the thing. It'd be so much easier to be pleasant, and to be nice, and to be sweet, and to be agreeable. And I'm going to make myself sick in a minute. Ugh. Because here's the thing. When you face the world, you have to love them. You have to genuinely care about them, but you can never, 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 never back down from them because they're wrong and we're right. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, doesn't that make you close-minded? When you're right, you can afford to be close-minded. Can I get an amen? If you didn't say it, you don't believe it. Most people in most churches don't know how to defend their faith. That's the purpose of this Bible study so that you can defend everything that you believe, not with your opinions, not with science, not with scientists, but with the Word of God itself. The Word of God defends itself. And that's what we have to be able to do. That's what Nehemiah did. He didn't back down. He did not let fear run him. Last one, Nehemiah 6, 15 through 19, and we are done. Last thing, give thanks in the afterglow of success. You can go through discouragements. People will try to discourage you. When I went to seminary, my brother made this profound statement, brilliant statement. He said, son, it's good. I don't know why he called me son. It's just my brother. He said, son, it's good that you want to serve God, but don't get carried away. What does that mean? Serve God, but don't get carried away. What does it mean to not get carried away? When you commit yourself to a woman, you give yourself body, mind, soul, and checkbook. Can I get an Amen. I was also a woman that said that. You know that? Yeah. You don't commit yourself halfway to a woman. And the Lord's a little more important than your wife. Men, what? Just the men don't say nothing. I got to get y'all saved, honestly. The Lord is more important than your wife. 
The Lord is more important than your job. The Lord is more important than your reputation or your golf game. I know that's almost sacrilegious, but there it is. The Lord's more important than music or status or security because the joy of the Lord is my life, my everything. So we give ourselves 100%. You see, God will bring you through the discouragement and the discouraging people. He will bring you through the personal attacks. He'll bring you through the times when people go after you just because you're a Christian. They try to tear you down just because you're a believer. Here's the thing. God will bring you to a place of success. Verse 15. The wall was completed in 52 days. On the 25th day of the month Elavul, when all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated. Now they're intimidated. They were intimidated and they lost their confidence. Why? Because Israel was so bad? Because they were tough? Because they had cannons and an army? No! For they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. You understand that? The work of the gospel is not done by education. It's not done by numbers. It's not done by becoming a seeker sensitive. It's not done by trying to learn the newest techniques or the newest music or the newest digital video. The work of the gospel is accomplished by God. He simply gives us the privilege of being part of it. Doesn't matter how smart or how uneducated. It doesn't matter how eloquent or how stumble-tongued. It doesn't matter how good-looking you are or how ugly you are. God will accomplish his purpose through you if he chooses to do it. Can I get an amen from somebody? Here's the thing. Seven out of ten Christians in American churches don't believe that statement. You can say amen, but here's the thing. If you mean it, it changes everything you do with your life. It changes everything about who you are and how you conduct yourself. If you believe that God has saved you for the sole purpose of using you. I was reading Oswald Chambers, and Uncle Oswald is brilliant. He said, it's the greatest offense to God Almighty to ask for a happy life. Jesus did not have a happy life. It is wrong to ask for happiness. It is right to ask for joy. Do you know why? Do you know the difference? Happiness is the fuzzy feeling you get in your stomach when you eat a great plate of pancit. That's, yeah, that's happiness. Man, when you get the mag rolls and they're just, that's happiness. When you see someone come to Jesus because you shared your testimony, that is joy that nothing can take away. You can have cancer and have joy. You can't have cancer and have happiness. Cancer is not a happy disease. You could be facing death in an Indonesian prison or a Chinese prison. You could be facing all these things with joy, but not with happiness. You can go through the worst traumas in life. You can lose a spouse or lose a child. And you can still have the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Even when happiness deserts you and is long gone, even when the divorce is cold and your heart is still broken, you can have the joy of the Lord when happiness is a distant memory. That's what's so important here. They lost their confidence because they knew that this was accomplished by our God. During those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him. The people in Jerusalem made a deal with the devil, and they were sticking to it. Don't be surprised when sinners act like sinners. My wife's favorite comment, this is one that she taught me. I do learn from my wife. You cannot expect a healthy response from an unhealthy mind. The mind without Jesus Christ, the mind that has not been regenerated by his love, by his sacrifice, is unhealthy. It is sick. Without Jesus, you are mentally ill. Only Christ can restore you to a healthy mental process. And you cannot expect a sinner to act like a saint. Although sometimes saints do act like sinners. You cannot expect a healthy response from an unhealthy, unregenerate mind. 
You understand that? That is so critical to grasp. They were bound by oath to him since he was a son-in-law. And, okay, a son-in-law of Shekinah, son of Era, the son of Jehoihan, had married the daughter of Meshelum, son of Berechiah. And these nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me. Aha, damage control. Now that he's done all the damage and he's failed, what happens? Oh, but he's such a good guy. Really, he's a nice person. You should trust him. He really is a good fellow. The, you know, the, the proof's in the pudding, guys. You know from what person's like all the way through, not just in the one moment they need you. And I said, these nobles kept mentioning Tobias' good deeds to me, and they reported my words to him, and Tobias sent letters to intimidate me. Even though he was losing his grasp, he kept railing against the work of the Lord. When everybody else realized it was a lost cause to fight Nehemiah, this guy kept fighting. There are people in your life that you love, there are family members that you have that will die in their sin and go to hell. Do you understand that? Not everybody comes to Christ. You can pray your whole life through, but if a person will stiff-neckedly resist Christ, then they will die in their sins and go to hell. You cannot pray somebody into heaven. I wish it was as easy as the Catholic Church. You go in, drop some coins, and boom, somebody pops out of purgatory. By the way, you guys do know there's no purgatory, right? Yeah, I, once, I once went to a church and they said, well, pastor, how do we help the people in purgatory? I, actually, I happen to know that purgatory is a place in, in Arizona. I said, I don't know. What happened in Arizona? Why do they need help? They said, oh, no, no, the place, purgatory. I said, find it for me in the Bible. Well, it's not really in the Bible. Then why are we talking about it? If it's not in the Bible, it's not real. If it's not real, who cares? There's no middle ground. You are either with the Lord or you are in hell. There's no middle ground. After someone's dead, you can say as many novenas and rosaries as you want to. Nothing is going to affect it. Once you are dead, sweetheart, your eternal fate is set and it cannot be altered. Even if the Pope wants to pop you out of hell, he can't do it. You do realize that, right? Because where I grew up in Michigan, I would be stoned to death for saying that. Very Catholic part of the world. Very Catholic part of the country. People believed in priests. They believed in purgatory. They believed in lighting candles to save people from hell. You can't do that. It doesn't work. Once you inhale, it's permanent. There's no pardon. Okay, there's no pardon. So, Tobiah is a perfect example. He was so bitter, so angry at God for not letting things happen the way he wanted them to happen. That he kept fighting God right to the end. He wouldn't bend even when he saw that God had delivered it through. 52 days it took to complete the wall of Jerusalem. How long had they been back in the Holy Land? 80 years? 90 years? More? He did in 52 days what the people there could not do in 80 years. Why? Because he worked alongside the Lord, following the Lord's directive. He was not afraid of people who wanted to discourage him. He didn't allow himself to be discouraged. He kept his eyes on the Lord. How was it he did in 52 days what nobody else could do? Zerubbabel led the first return. He couldn't do it. Ezra the second return. He couldn't do it. It took this politician, a pencil pusher, who had absolute faith in God to make this thing happen. Because that was God's appointed person to do the job. Amen? Amen? There is nothing that we cannot do that is in God's plan. So long as we are faithful, we don't get discouraged. We don't let personal attacks and personal danger. You go out there in the world right now, you go to Manila, there are some places in Manila where you can go do ministry where your life's in danger 26 hours a day. Seriously, you know that, right? There's places where Pastor Nathan goes that your life's in danger from the second you get two miles out until you're two miles out the other side. It's just not a safe place where he is. Should that stop us from going there and serving the Lord? No. There's places in Brooklyn and the Bronx where you can go and get killed easier than you can get a hot dog. Should that stop us from going there? No. There's places in Raleigh where people disappear all the time. They go to sleep on the streets, and the next day they're gone. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? People disappear all the time. 
that can't make us afraid because God is our strength. He's our protector. He's our provider. If he calls us there, he'll sustain us. So are you living a thank-filled life? Here we are coming up on Thanksgiving. We're going to be here Thursday night for Thanksgiving. Are you living a thank-filled life? Now, I didn't say thankful. You can be thankful for the fact that your wife didn't burn the waffles this morning. That's a good thing. You can be thankful for the fact that you turned the key and your car started. That's a good thing. But do you have a thank-filled life? Is every day of your life, every moment of that day, is it filled with gratitude to God for the fact that you are saved? That heaven is your destination. Heaven is your home. Even when somebody turns on you, threatens to sue you, can you still have a thank-filled life? Because God will always intercede for his own. Amen? Amen? God keeps his own safe. One, you need to praise God when others try to discourage you from following God. Why? If they're trying to discourage you, you're dangerous. You are dangerous to Satan, and he's got to stop you. He has to stop you, so he's got to find someone to discourage you. Some, some reason that they give you. Oh, well, look, look at, look at uh, last year you had that problem at work. Uh, you, you can't serve God. You're not worthy. Guess what? Nobody's worthy. None of us are worthy to serve God. He allows us to serve him. So whoever tries to discourage you, they point to your past, they point to your mistakes. So what? Paul was a murderer of Christians. He led them to prison. He was the worst defender against the early church, and yet God took him and changed him and made him into the great apostle that shared the gospel with the world. Two, Personal attacks that focus on our faith are actually praises to God. If someone's upset with you for being a Christian, praise God you're doing something right. Backside of that, if nobody knows you're a believer, no one says anything about your faith because they don't know you have faith, oops. Maybe that requires a little repentance. My professor once said this. I told him I was too loud to be a pastor. <laughs> little did I know. I said, I can't, I can't be a pastor. I'm loud, I'm mean, I'm nasty, I'm aggressive. He said, son, it's easier to calm a raging inferno than it is to set water on fire. You understand? It's easier to take someone who is a fireball, someone who is a raging furnace, it's easier to take that person and, and trim them down and control them. It's easier to do that than take someone who's dead and raise them to life. Or to, or to set water on fire, or to take ice and use it to warm something. You can't do that. Better start with too much than too little. Pray that God would fire you up. Pray that God would excite you about who you are. And every time you get a personal attack, praise God. You're doing something right, because the devil's getting angry. Third one, when victory finally comes, you need to praise the author of the victory. Praise the author of the victory. When people come here and they visit the church, Praise God he led them here. He might have led them through you or through a friend, but praise God he brought them here. When the uh, dental truck comes and we do all these teeth and, and we, we help people get their, their, their mouths out of pain, praise God because he's the one that made that possible. He's the one that brought all those resources to us. We're just channeling people to it. When something good goes on in your life, praise God. Don't praise you because he's just giving you the privilege of being part of what he's doing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. You are such a good God. Father God, we just thank you that, Father, you have given us this chance at Thanksgiving now, Lord, to realize we have so much to be grateful for. Father, when we feel discouraged, we can praise you because you are not done with us yet. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And that, Lord, you who began this good work in us will not finish that work until the day of Jesus Christ. So, Father, if I'm not what I need to be, you will continue working on me until I am, Father. And for that, I can praise you. When I'm disappointed in myself, Lord, I can praise you because you're not done with me. You're not going to give up on me, even when I get close to giving up on myself. Father God, when others attack me or they attack this church or they attack our faith, as sometimes happens, Lord, when people question, why are we so uh, closed-minded? Why don't we open ourselves to everybody and everything? Father, help us to know that that is just a sign that the devil's nervous. Help us to know, Father God, that we should not fear anybody or anything. We should only fear letting you down or disappointing you. And Father, finally, I, I thank you for the successes in this church. 
Father, we see people coming, we see people visiting. Father God, we have this chance to reach out and to do things. Um, these Christmas boxes that go out to people around the world that need them. Father God, our chance to support the, the, the children's homes here in North Carolina, to support these places, Father, where children are taken out of violent situations, where they're taken out of broken homes, where they're taken off the streets and they're given food and they're given a chance to be in a Christian household and they learn about you and they learn about prayer and they learn about the power of forgiveness and the cross. And Father, that happens only because we join in and we share and we are part of what's going on. Father God, I thank you that you give us this exciting chance to be part of your kingdom work in these last days. And Father God, I just pray you continue to show yourself mighty and strong and powerful, Father God, in the days ahead. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. As the worship team plays, take a minute, just bow your head, close your eyes. Take a minute to think about these words. Give thanks to the Holy One for all that you have, for all that he's done. And ask him to make you into the image of Jesus that you can be a reason for others to celebrate too. Take a moment just to.